Osiris. Hey, it's Dave from Beyond the Pond. Just wanted to talk about one other podcast in the Osiris Podcast Network. That would be the Broke Down Pod. Broke Down Pod is hosted by Jonathan Hart, also known as at J on Twitter, RoJimmy. And basically, if you want a really in-depth conversations about the Grateful Dead, including some prime Grateful Dead taken from the live music archive. It's really hard to do better than John Hart. He's a fantastic host with a very good voice for radio, very soothing, and he kind of is quite the Grateful Dead scholar. He's a good friend of our podcast. I know we've had him on our podcast, and if you want to a very excellent deep dive into all things Grateful Dead, including some excellent commentary from John. Lately, he's also taken to have some very good guests on the show from uh, the indie jam slash indie psych rock world that we have been exploring on Beyond the Pond. So it's branched out. It's not entirely Grateful Dead now, but it's also each and every guest is somebody who, if you enjoy the dead, you'll definitely enjoy him speaking with. So, check out Broke Down Pod on the Osiris Podcast Network. Hey folks, I am David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You're tuned into a special episode of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing the listener to other bands. Generally, these are not jam bands. Because we love fish, we are fish fans. The problem with fish fans is sometimes they have a tendency to get a bit myopic. 
They listen to lots and lots of fish and can tell you everything you ever wanted to know about their favorite band. But then you say, hey, how's that new Strand of Oaks record? And they look at you like you got five heads. We're looking to do something about that. We absolutely are. And coincidentally, we are talking in part about that new Strand of Oaks record on this episode. Uh, this was a very special episode for Dave and I. We have been in talks with Tim Showalter, the mind, the creative uh, engine behind uh, the heart and soul, I should say as well, behind the Strand of Oaks project. And we have uh, sat down with him, had a really excellent, thoughtful, heartfelt, wide-ranging, expansive conversation with him that uh, was really, really, really fantastic, huh? Yeah, this was extremely enjoyable and uh, and gratifying. It's always good to know that the individuals behind some of your favorite music, when they end up being really swell people, and this was... Yeah. This was a great conversation. Tim is an extremely thoughtful guy. He had a lot to say and I kind of almost didn't want the conversation to end just because it felt like we'd been speaking in for years. So it was really excellent. Yeah, it's cool because so Tim is a big fish fan now. Um, I think that he had said he was introduced to fish in full by his manager, who's a huge fish fan. Um and Tim's been to a few shows over the years. Uh, most recently, he was at the Camden shows in summer 2018 and was definitely you know, really moved by the experience. And so we talk a bit about that. We talk a bit about his own views on fish, especially coming from the indie rock world. Dive a bit into his background from a musical standpoint, what some of his biggest influences are, as well as kind of the wide-ranging project of Strand of Oaks and if you haven't heard yet, the album Eraserland, which is the new Strand of Oaks record, came out in mid-March, is really, really fantastic. And I know Dave and I went into this conversation both being like, yeah, this is definitely one of our favorite records of the year, and came out being like, I don't know if I'll ever hear that record the same way again in a really, <laughs> really fantastic way. It just uh, um, I, I think that you guys will leave some of this hearing Tim's lyrics and music in a totally new way and, and a better way for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I would uh, second that Eraserland is a fantastic record. I mean, it's kind of when you take Tim's songwriting and then add it to a backing group, which contains all the members of My Morning Jacket, not named Jim James, it's kind of hard to go wrong. It's a combination like Oreos and Milk, Match Made in Heaven. It's uh, a very well-written and even better, a fantastic-sounding, well-produced album. And I certainly learned a lot. I know after the conversation, I went backwards through um, his discography, really dove into a whole bunch of the other albums, and definitely wouldn't say no to having him on the podcast again someday. Absolutely. Yeah, we touched, uh, I think, the last half hour of the conversation was us uh, trying to figure out the next episodes to have him on for. And um, he, he kept getting more and more excited. So we definitely, um, this is a cool conversation. There's gonna be a lot of music played throughout. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just excited for you guys to hear this. I, I know that the next morning I woke up and felt like I was walking like three feet off the ground. I was just super excited and super happy. So um, I think you guys will, will get that as well. 
So, without further ado, let's listen to the Beyond the Pond conversation with Tim Showalter from Strand of Oaks. a seltzer too man you got Lacroix. um the one from target mm. the simply balanced which is basically this kind of more or less the same thing yeah a little cheaper because it's target and it's got these cool like slim 12 ounce cans that are uh, nice i i relocated from maryland last year and the office i was working in had dasani sparkling water and now we okay. have Lacroix at the office out here in denver and Man, I gotta say, I miss the Dasani. It's like it's like crack. Yeah, well, I I just uh, um, recently stopped drinking like two months ago. So the uh, the best advice I got was seltzer has the same like tangible or tangential or whatever the word is, but it has the same feeling as like cracking right. a beer, and it's actually it's been a huge help. Like I don't miss it that much. I needed to stop, but it's like I love it. Like. And it's like, oh, cool, zero calories instead of 4,000 calories I would consume in, like, a good right. night. So, like, <laughs> it definitely, my body thanks me often for it. Well, congratulations on the sobriety, man. That's, uh, that's a really, you know, awesome. awesome yeah. Awesome I mean, the main thing is booze. Yeah. I mean, I keep, it's not totally clean, but the booze, is, you know, because there's not, like, a cocaine store I can just walk to two blocks away and uh, <laughs> find. <laughs> Not that I do that, but you know, it is, it's like, oh, there's a liquor store everywhere. Crap. Okay. Yeah. But it feels good though. I mean, I, I'm ready to, I'm ready to like, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a new experience and it felt good. I got, I went down to South by Southwest and had a crazy week and I didn't, I just kind of looked at everyone else that was getting drunk and I was like, I'm going to go back to my hotel room. This is, you know, this isn't my thing right now. And it felt, that felt really empowering. It was awesome. Well, also, with South by Southwest and the crowd kind of skews younger, right? Well, I mean, you're yeah. in like, your late I 30s. Felt, I felt right? like grandpa at some things, but then other things I got, I was real lucky because it's kind of a new South by experience for me because we did uh, we did the um, Willie Nelson's Luck Reunion. Uh, and oh, it's, right. It's right, at right. his ranch, and it's like outside the chaos, and it was awesome like it was just you know the only sad thing was i was like charlie brown packing up because we had a show still that same night at midnight in downtown and i just heard willie starting and i was like leaving and i was the saddest boy (laughs) in the world just like putting my guitar in the van like i really have to go now like this is so bad but you know we did that didn't that also have like um that had like Steve Earle. Steve Earle was there. Um, I didn't. I didn't catch a lot of. Ba- I, I saw a little bit of Steve Earle, and I saw. Um, ah, who else did I see? I saw a bit of Lucas Nelson and, and uh, uh, his band. I forgot. Is it Promise of the Real or is that when they're with Neil Young? Yeah, Promise oh, of the Real. Amazing, exactly. Amazing, yeah. dude was. Those guys are incredible. Out, I man. saw them. It was awesome. I saw them with Neil Young this past September, and I could not believe 
how well they played the songs, like a dexterity you don't usually get from like Crazy Horse. And Neil was, uh, was yeah, it's the second win for Neil. I mean, I I saw something recently. He said that you know the promise of the real is the first band that can fully cover his catalog, like they can do it all. And I mean, right. with that kind of catalog, that's saying a lot, really, to like jump from Crazy Horse to like the Gators or like, you know, whatever incarnation he had. Yeah, they played three songs from Tonight's Tonight just in a row, back to back to oh. back. And if there's ever like a tape of that show, if you hear someone by the soundboard yelling, holy fucking shit, that's probably. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Uh, but. Yeah, so I I don't know. It was just it was good. I'm and we also did the relics party, which was awesome. Like it was uh, um, Hayes Call and oh, nice. uh, um, the Billy Strings I'd never heard of, and I saw him. He's incredible. He was fantastic. His so band good. is so good. Yeah, I was I was blown away, and um, I was actually it was like a Neil Young moment for me because I I uh, am kind of doing this like how do you say it like. My wife gets mad because I kept saying it, and sometimes I say like things, and I need to think about my phrasing. But I kept telling people about my band philosophy now is like an open marriage because I have like a lot of different. I have like a, a European band, and you know, like there's just a lot of possibilities I'm leaving open. But she was like, "Could you stop using like the phrase open marriage so much? Like, can, just, can you find a better way to put that?" I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I." Uh, I think I can find a better way to say that. You're right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's an interesting approach that you have because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're the most con- you're the only consistent member of the band as as it's evolved, especially since Heal. Correct? Yeah, I mean, forever. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I your really... your first couple albums are are essentially the they're essentially you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of, it was always like I don't know the best way to put it. My friend said it once, like if you're in a position like I am or other kind of similar songwriters with bands, it's like you have a boat that you drive, but that boat can fit a lot of people if you want it to. And I always think that's kind of how I think of it. Like we're all floating together, but it's more of like, right. right I'm right. driving. So, well, I mean, it's interesting because it's, it's such like a testament to like what's possible with making music and like the internet age where you can put a record out that's you, but then you can like meet all these different people and bring different people on for ideas from a creative standpoint, from a support standpoint. And, you know, the similar ideas like right there, like nestled within, but it also changes and evolves. And obviously that's happened over, especially the last three albums. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've been, I've been really fortunate to just still be at it. I think it's because I'm getting to that place where, you know, I'm 36 and then, you know, that's definitely not old, but it's in the, in the music lifespan, it's getting there because there is that point where like, and I always tell bands just, you know, if you really love it, stick around, like, don't stop, like, and, and keep going because there has been, you know, in my trajectory, you know, I have seen more bands, like if you look at it as like a line graph or something, or like the Dow Jones industry, you know, like my my stock is just always 
slowly rising and sometimes taking pretty good hits but you know like it's just but i've seen all of these i've seen many bands that just skyrocket and then a year later i'm like what happened to that band and then they're gone and i don't i don't know what's better or worse you know I, i i'm doing the again neil young i'm definitely not I'm I'm fading away slowly with age, but I'm still here. I definitely haven't burnt out yet. I think it's important for bands to have a discography like Neil Young or Strand of Oaks. Yeah. So you can just plot the progress from like one point to the next. I mean, I know, I guess with some bands, what they flame out in their first record, because what you got like your entire life to make your first record. Yeah. And then yeah. you can't follow <laughs> yeah. it up or you don't have the label support or... There's like a million reasons. I know that all of, I think, mine and Brian's favorite bands have, you can plot the evolution. It's like... Yeah, you're right. Like, like I think always an example of that that I find a lot of, like, comfort in is if I look... And I wasn't there at the beginning, the very beginning, but if you look at, like, Spoon's discography mm, sure. from, like, Kill the Moonlight on, they just, they don't they don't miss they're just it's like such a it's such a uh, a fruitful discography that rewards so much when you go back you know and you can kind of pick randomly or go chronologically and i, I i'm always actually just a little pissed at them because i'm like how are you this consistently good for well, 20 they can do years things like, you know if you go back to um like gaga gaga yes uh, um, transference and then they want my soul and then yeah. my soul ended up i think that was my second favorite record of 2014 you're right dude and the last song what's the last song on that record called new york kiss yeah new york kiss. yes oh yes. my god that song is so good it's well and like the the first track is is the first track inside out um no, that's that the two? second track the first that's track second is track. the okay. rent that pay Yes, right, yeah. but when they jump into Inside yeah. Out, it's like I've never heard that Spoon song before. And yeah. yeah, here's the band like what they were probably 15, almost 20 years into their career at that point in time. Yeah, like to hear a band play a song or write a song that you've almost never heard before that doesn't come from just one peak moment of inspiration, like that fully comes from this time-honored 10 15 year slowly chipping away at creative ideas until something unveils itself to you and i love yeah. that about about my favorite artists well and i just think i'm i you know because i had a you know i've had ups and downs and i've had you know it's it's it feels like for me like i you know and i'm very fortunate again to still be doing it but you know it's it's like anything else you know there's you know, I think I'm more hard on myself than anyone else's, but I I remember once my manager gave me this incredible advice because he uh, he also manages the Mountain Goats, who oh, okay. are a perfect example of, and John's a friend of mine, and John's helped me a lot with the idea of surviving in this industry. But like, you know, my manager said, like, Tim, I care about like your 15th record. I care mm-hmm. about your 20th record. Like, and you know, if one doesn't hit like you want it, like I would love to, you know, say like, "Hey, Neil, like, remember the remember your record old ways, <laughs> you know, or something like that." And be like, which one? Or do you remember Hawks and Doves? And you know, he might have to take a second to be like, "Did I make that?" Oh yeah, I remember making. And it's it just kind of clumps into, as you said, like that that arc. 
that you know it it has like you know similar to like I don't know. It's, you know, what this podcast is about. If you think about fish and like how that arc, but you know, even if there's like some people will say there's good years or bad years, I, I love to just kind of look at it as a whole. And, and, and then like, it almost finds a median like average point where it's like, well, it's all like, you have to understand the process of it all. And it kind of helps to have, you know, like I do, I've got, I've had a year's worth of bad shows sometimes. And it's like, but that kind of like makes the next year that much more sweeter when it happens. Well, it's interesting. Cause I remember you, you were on Stephen Hyden's, uh, Bruce Springsteen, you know, chronological yeah. discography podcast that he did. And you talked about lucky town, human touch and Tom Jode. And I remember listening to it and I was, very unfamiliar at the time with those three albums. I mean, I've yeah, I was, I was born and raised in a household that my parents would not be my parents if Bruce Springsteen didn't didn't exist. Like they fell in love <laughs> over him. Um, yeah, that's but, awesome. You know, like, yeah, what you know, Brian like, says that he would not exist were it not for Bruce Springsteen. Actually, this is true. Yeah, their union would not <laughs> exist, uh, and yeah. then subsequently me. <laughs> but um, you know, the the the. Tentpole records, uh, Born to Run, Darkness, uh, Nebraska, Born in the USA. You know, yeah. these were all the records that played in the house. And obviously there was this like big jump to the rising. And in, so I'm 34 now. So I'm just getting to that age where life gets really messy and yeah. really interesting in very slow and mundane ways that when you were like 18 and 19, you really feared. And I now love looking back at, an artist like Springsteen or like Dylan in the eighties or Neil Young in the eighties, where they made records that kind of failed on a yeah. cultural and <laughs> pop cultural standpoint, but like there's so much depth in there. And if you take like the Springsteen, you know, uh, discography from tunnel of love through Tom Joad, it's all it's, it's, it's in some cases, like I went back to those records after listening to your episode there's in some ways the most interesting Springsteen records I've ever heard because he's yeah. dealing with really monotonous, you know, he's, he's gone through a divorce and he's trying to figure out who he is at 40 when he's supposed to be a rock star who's, you know, getting out of this city because the city sucks and I've got, I'm just going to hit the open road and he suddenly turns inward. And I find that at this age, so much more fascinating. And it really tells that like arc of a person's life and an artist's life that I just, I, I, I just love. Yeah, I man, you floored me. Did you? I'm, I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna go back. Did you say that was so? I wrote it down in my notebook. Did you say as you turn 34, your life has gotten more complicated and interesting at the same time? Is that what you, I think? I, that's what you said. That's how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing yeah. way to put it. That's a that's that's extremely man. That hits it on the head for me. Like that's that's <laughs> like because yeah, it's like. I've been talking about that a lot recently, you know, cause I've been heavily, you know, in this press, whatever it is, the lead up. And then, you know, the, um, for the rec for record, I just put out and, yeah. but I've been, I've been discussing that a lot of like, you know, how it's like almost like I, I'm, I feel like as I get older, it's like, I'm almost living in like a post emotional world and to a certain degree where it's like, you know, the, the fascination with emotions when you're 20, I don't want to be fascinated with being sad anymore. 
like I don't I, I don't want it I don't want to be allured by the sexiness of heartbreak like totally. I, I, and that's kind of the you know and then there is the bits that are just more interesting where I you know we all can you know we can we can be you know we don't look as good and we don't move as good but I like myself better a lot better right now yeah. and and I can just like I can roll into a room and I remember thinking I don't know if you both had this experience but meeting like hanging around older like seeing people you know that were you know like the record store workers or you know like the you know whomever older bands there was always this think of like why do they just seem so much cooler than me? <laughs> like, like how, <laughs> what level are they existing on? And I think it's just experience and just not caring any longer. It's like, I, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's very beneficial for me and my art to stop, to, to kind of get out of my head. <laughs> it's, I think, and that's, I, I'm excited for this next phase in my career because I think I, I think I did get over that. And not as just as an artist, but as a person. And you kind of hope that for all of us, like just stop living in it so much of like that chaotic swirl that exists. And, but yeah, complicated and interesting. I just went on one of those tangents we were talking about earlier. My apologies. That's a great tangent. Quite all right. As, as, both, <laughs> as both young dads, I think we both, we both appreciate that tangent. You know, another thing about getting older is I can walk into a social situation or a bar and within five seconds, I know if I'm going to, if, if it's worth it. Yes. And if it's not, yeah, get the hell out. Like, it's just, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hang out with people who like the only, like my only stipulation now is like, and maybe it's naive, but I'm like, I only want to hang around or give myself or talk to people that make me feel better when I'm, when I leave and like an empowered or, you know, like connected more because once you start realizing that and you find the right people to do that with, then your level of tolerance for the opposite diminishes quickly and you're just like nope this is this is not worth my time to be around this situation that's toxic or whatever well like time is so limited at this point that like you have to you have to really discern like if you're gonna spend like you know you're when you're in your 20s it's and it kind of comes with um like music as well like exactly you know like dave and i talk a lot about how um so many of like our favorite records are like 35 minutes now. Uh, so <laughs> oh, like, interesting. To, like I have to like really, really, really love what you do to like invest beyond that. Because if I'm just like sampling something, like I've got to be in and, and be out because I've got like such like limited time. But then I find also, and you know, I think your record Eraserland really speaks to this. I mean, especially the back half of it is really expansive. And it's yeah. kind of one of those records that like, I just want to live in and I want to exist in. And I think it's also like that speaks to what we love about fish. You know, if they go yeah. off on a 20, 25 minute jam that gets us in a totally different headspace, and, you know, for that brief period in time allows us to kind of forget about whatever's happening in life at that point in time. Like that's a really good uh, diversion and a really good oh, insight. The and, yeah. <laughs> It's the best. I, I mean, for me, like, you know, I, 
I always like, you know, back to fish. Like the the interesting thing about my age is, and I assume I, I we probably fell around the same time, but like I like a, a really powerful scene for me when I was like eighteen or nineteen was like the burgeoning post rock scene Ooh. with like <clears throat> Mogwai and Sigarost and. Uh, like tortoise, uh, uh, God, tortoise, Godspeed, you Black Emperor, you know, like Silver Mountain, you know, the list goes on. But what it's cool, what cool, what's cool is, you know, I, you know, obviously my older brother listened to Fish, you know, he loved him. I had a chance to go to the freaking '97 uh, show when I was like 15, where they played Rhinoceros <laughs> at Deer Creek. Oh that was August 3rd, 1998. Open the show. With I could have. Oh yeah, '98. Yeah. I could have gone. Like and like, but I didn't. But anyways, that's a lot of regret that now I have. But it's it's the idea of I think a lot. I guess I come from like a post rock time which is crazy to think about trying to tell like an 18 year old, be like, Hey, you, you love post drug, right? But anyways, like what it did though, is it conditioned me to like see something or experience something. And if I see like, you know, like it, it like prepped me perfectly for like the trance, like thing that I like to get into with music. And then yeah. you just transition that into like, you know, there's, there's a, there's not, uh, there will never be a jam that like fish can play. It will never be too long for me. <laughs> like mm. I just, I want to find like, you know, I Googled once I was like longest fish songs ever. And wasn't there, uh, um, wasn't there like an hour long, uh, I'm forgetting the Dave, name. Dave was front row. Yes. I was at the front row for that. That was the version of runaway Jim. They played yes, runaway Jim. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I was like, oh my, was that at Red Rocks or was that it? Uh, that was in Worcester, Massachusetts. That was. Oh, Worcester, um, way off on that. Boom. <laughs> that was the, that was the, uh, that was Thanksgiving. That was a turkey tour run. That was, um, oh my God. November 29th, 1997. I was on the rail for that show, which is crazy. That's actually, man, I, that might've been the only fish jam I can think of that might've gone on too long. I might've checked my watch once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah i mean i i but you know it is cool though and i i would love to find that correlation where like you know people you know because i love dance music too like that was like i i start i went to like raves when i was like 13 and 14 like i love okay. i love electric i still love electronic music today like because of that same idea of like you know the it probably goes back to like the Raga or something where it's just like, we're going to take you somewhere else right. and then, and like push you to a limit. And then once you hit that limit, you push through that limit and then you're just floating and then it, you've elevated. And I mean, that's where like, you know, I, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Like I took my wife, uh, my birthday present was uh, Camden tickets this year for fish and um, I know I read some board reviews and they didn't like it that much, but I sure as shit liked it because it was my birthday present. Did you go to night and, one or uh, night two? You... I went to both. Oh, both. Okay. I was at, yeah. um, oh, I forget what night it was. They played, they closed the first set with a phenomenal version of the song, Everything's Right. Yep. I think that was night one. I think it was. Yeah, I think so. They play like a really good Down With Disease to open up. Oh, that was night one. Oh, that was night one. Sorry, right, I'm getting right, confused. Right, right. 
Yeah, they did like a 28 minute Down with Disease. And that's actually what I was going to reference is like, it was A, amazing that my wife got, and that was like my surprise. I got home from Europe and I, I thought it was sold out. And I think actually through, it helps to be in a band, but I think some connection, I think Fish actually helped me get tickets. <laughs> in a, in a, or their, somebody in their organization did. So it was very sweet that my manager, who's a giant Fish fan too, he uh, um, secured me some pretty, pretty choice seats. And but like that, what was so cool is to have my. That would be like my wife's, you know, first experience in that twenty-eight minute down with disease. I just saw her keep smiling at like the fifteen-minute mark. That's so great. And then the smile kept getting bigger, and I was like, "Yes, you get it. Like this is where it's taking you. You're getting like, you're getting uh, like." you're getting delivered into this like abyss that is the best thing to feel and it's, it's interesting dave and i um have talked a lot about this with last summer's tour and that down disease is like it's a really special jam in terms of how they were developing over the summer and the kind of idea that you're talking about that they keep playing and then you find yourself in this zone where you're just kind of floating they started for for the first couple of years when they came back after their big hiatus um they would you know play a jam and then kind of get through one idea and move on to another song and it was all is that recording is that yes, recording yes, yes. yeah <laughs> okay some deep recording going on yeah and it, yeah so it was a lot of like you know especially if you listen to the shows or if you go to the shows you'd like get really into it and you kind of get to that zone and then you're like okay now we're in a new song and you kind of knew that the band was still getting their sea legs back, but they started doing this thing this summer that we, we called post peak jamming where they, you know, yes. play this big rock raging peak. And then someone, you know, typically Mike fish or Trey would come up with a riff and they just follow it and they just kind of tweak it and make it a little bit more disjointed every measure. And within like a minute or two, the the idea was still somewhat familiar but you were long gone from the rock peak that they had been at and you're in this totally kind of demented musical space that i just eat up like that's that's what i, I love that man. yeah i mean yeah like the first like my you know i i remember and this was like this was a long time ago like i've always had a lot of like you know i always had a bunch of respect for him like i i remember my brother you know, try to teach me waste on guitar when I was like, yeah. you know, and, uh, but like, you know, I always had that respect, but it was amazing to see how many people are like trying to lead me to them. <laughs> like, you know, just like, come on, I know, like, it's so close. And I'm like, cause the things that I did like, you know, and that idea of what you just said is so true because I, I was talking to my wife and I was like, this band is like, not only how do i say this like not transgressive but it's like it's it's in a way like the last bastion of like rebellious music in my opinion because you have to be rebellious if you're playing to you know for instance camden i think that venue holds twenty thousand, maybe 18 i i it's it felt like a huge place yeah i think it's about 20 maybe even more and it was so incredibly hot those two days oh i know but think about this though like in the terms of rebellion there's like 
less than 0.1% of bands that can sell that many tickets that consistently. Right. And they are playing though this kind of music. Like, right. <laughs> you know, that is the most incredible, rebellious, amazing feeling to me that like, you know, we were watching it and I was like, man, and even to the point where like their set lists in those Camden nights were like, they didn't, they played a lot of new ones. They played like ones that, you know, of course I did, I don't know every song, but I, I try, you know, I at least familiar with most of them. And I'm like, man, they're, they're not only jamming to this level of like, incredible like uh like visionary and like uh you know dangerous places but then they're playing songs like that like they're not even playing the songs people want to hear at the same time like this is incredible
What's incredible with fish is that they've been around for 36 years and they're still reinventing themselves on the fly. I mean, usually when you get to your 36 year, if you're lucky, you're like the Rolling Stones. You can come out and roll out the hits and play Jumpin' Jack. Yeah. Play Jumpin' Jack Flash every night. Well, even, fish, even now bands are doing like they're, I, I get, I feel old because bands are like doing like, um, uh, the 10th 10, anniversary, 10 anniversary yeah. and things. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, how many times has fish played <laughs> down with disease? Somebody has that number somewhere, but, and you know, they still, you know, they still absolutely push it forward. And there's no like, and that's why they're interesting because personally for me, the second a band does one of those nostalgia tours, I'm kind of like, man, are you, yeah, forget it. It's, it's already on the out. other side. Like I, I don't, I don't really, I'm not that concerned with it. Maybe it's fun to see, but, you know, even Dead & Co., you know, like they're doing, you know, they're still trying to reinvent. You know, they're still trying, after, you know, like, and that's a bold decision to have Mayor come on board and keep it going. And, like, I respect that deeply, just the courage to do that. And I dare any of these pretentious indie rock bands to, to like, it's basically saying like a, a like an indie rock band who may like smirk at what we're talking about and think that we're all idiots, but like, like I would say like okay, what's your biggest show on your tour? New York, L.A. Okay, it's the one where all of your industry people are out. It's sold out. Now you play your your strangest songs that no one wants to hear, and then you play them way longer. And <laughs> let's see if you have the courage to do that. Or like, you know, and they don't. I wouldn't either, I don't think. I've done it before and really messed up some uh, momentum in my career, but that was to blame <laughs> for other things. But, you know, it's like... Well, and it's and it's an interesting thing about Fish. Like, I mean, I think that that point's really, really insightful in terms of like the courage that they have the the other thing the other side of it though is that and i think this word has to get back to them now that there's such a twitter presence yeah. within the fish community every tour since they've come back and i'm and and i i go back to 2003 and i remember this happening in 2003 and 2004 and aside from maybe two tours here in the what they call the 3.0 era every tour begins with the entire fan base shitting on it mm. and like their most dedicated fans saying, ah, oh, it doesn't yeah. sound as good as last year. I don't like that. They're playing these songs. I don't like the set list. I don't, I wish they would do this. And then eight to 10 shows into the tour, they play, you know, a monumental show. And over time, you know, everyone's lo loving going to the shows. Everyone's loving being in the environment. It's a great time. You know, there's often moments where like the music really uh, perks up, but the courage it takes for the band to walk out on stage, knowing that they have to challenge themselves and their audience and the norms of what it's like to be a rock band that can fill Camden or Alpine Valley or Dick's Sporting Goods or Madison Square Garden and know that they're doing that by playing music that people, you know, a, a good percentage of the crowd could walk out being like, eh, God, wasn't yeah, that good. you're right. So like in that, in that arc that you were talking about, like last summer, for instance, was it the Georgia shows that brought people back in? Like, cause that's where I saw like yeah. this huge peak of interest, like, you know, this kind of tide shift, you know, that probably led into what, like Halloween? Like, is that where it, well, I mean, 
you you probably know what this is like like if you change your gear yeah when you're going out on tour how hard like i'd be curious to know like how hard is that to adapt to as a musician oh it's i mean i was just i actually just was reading about did you read that article that they were posted on trey's rig like with his amp with his amp evolution and stuff like i it's really cool like i i I, it, it was kind of like manna from heaven for me as a guitar player but like changing gear is uh you know to quote trey from his rig rundown he was like you know the 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 sagest the most sage advice he gave on that it was like know your gear like it doesn't have to be the most expensive gear know your gear inside and out and that is the issue if you're switching things around especially if he's moving into like hand wired amplifiers those are those are like those are a amazing and absolutely next level amps but those things are there's a lot of minutia they aren't fender twins that you put on you know like i can play basically any fender twin in the world and i know what i'm going to get out of it you know the idea of you know gear working and switching gear and evolving gear is definitely like an off tour thing i would recommend but you know sometimes you want to experiment but like you know especially after i was reading that article about trey's rig um the idea of like getting into hand wired amps is that's that's not like your typical backline or whatever like that takes a lot of identity and understanding like you know because like the the boogie or the mesa boogie that he plays you know those are i mean how long has he been he's had that since the beginning right since like nectars and everything or yeah yeah and he switched wasn't he using like a fender blackface for a while he was for a couple of years and i mean the the reason i ask it is he switched up. He he brought in a Leslie uh, Leslie speaker, Leslie amplifier, uh, early summer twenty eighteen, and it noticeably messed with the band sound. Because he he had like a Univibe before, right? And then he, I wonder if he switched out the Univibe to the Leslie. And he was emphasizing it a ton during their jams, and during those first few shows leading up to. Um, atlanta the georgia shows you were you were referencing yeah there was a lot of, like i saw a couple shows out in la that were kind of rough i saw a show in um austin that had like the 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 early part of the third or the first or, excuse me the early part of the second set was phenomenal the rest of the show kind of had like some just ups and downs and then it, it was as if he finally figured out how to play with this new gear and the band knew how to respond to it they come out at those Atlanta shows and they play a version of ghost in the first set yeah. and jam it for like 20 yeah. plus minutes. And that's just a sign that they're feeling it. And, and you could hear it throughout. That, that was, I love, I do know that yeah. one. That one was, that was incredible. Like yeah, those, I, um, the Atlanta shows are definitely the strongest indication that tour that everything was going to be all right. Mm-hmm. I think the first two shows, what they were, in, they opened the tour in Lake Tahoe they played two nights that it was mostly Trey fiddling with his gear. It was almost almost like an extended sound check. Like those shows have highlights, but it was something was noticeably off. And then I think they played three shows at the Gorge in Washington. And night three was actually extremely good. That kind of paved the way going forward. But 
Yeah, definitely. But Atlanta. that's interesting you brought up a, like a Leslie though. Like, are you familiar with a, what a Leslie speaker is? Or it's like the rotating speaker that gives it like the water yeah. sound, right? Like the Hammond organ. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's meant for an organ, but it's a very physical. It's a very. I, I love using. I have a Leslie emulator in my pedal board that I use way too much. Probably like Trey. It's probably why I, I'm probably trying to defend it because I love that sound. But like the the issue is, and what I could see as a potential problem is, it is a physical sound, and it's the physical act of like the speaker moving and miking, you know, the rotating speaker, and that causes like a strange phase issue. And that could kind of like, I could see that potentially interrupting, you know, if they aren't miking it right, or if you're hearing a certain thing, it can really discombobulate, discombobulate you like sound wise. And especially if you're trying to hold a groove or something. Yeah. I saw them. One of the shows I saw at the forum, I had seats right next to page and like first row right next to page was some of the best seats I've ever had. And they play, a really safe show that night. It's a very straightforward, a lot of big songs that everyone kind of wants. It's kind of like their industry night show because they're in LA. Um, but they didn't yeah. really take too many chances. And the next night they played a really weird set list and jammed a lot of songs that you would have never expected them to. And I wasn't as close up, so I couldn't really watch the band, but um, I kind of wonder like you could tell the first night that they were still a little bit uneasy, just like seeing them interact with each other on stage. There wasn't like a ton of fun. It was a lot of let's figure out how to make this True. work and get into yeah. like a solid groove. And, and yet more fun than just about anything else you could do in that night. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> it's so right. Well, yeah. it's like, gets back to the point of, you know, the courage that the band, the courage that it takes for them of like, they know that they're going to go out there and challenge people in ways that are unexpected. And, you know, you're still going to have, it's still like one of the best rock shows, if not the best rock show, like you can see in a, in a stadium nowadays. And I, I like, Okay, this is this goes along this line because you know probably my favorite band of all time is Radiohead, and okay. I, I say favorite mm. band a lot. Like I have nineteen favorite bands right now, so Radiohead is one of them. But I was I played a festival in Europe uh, two summers ago where actually we played like uh, we were in the Netherlands and we played the same stage like one or two slots before Radiohead. So it was, you know, their gear was there. I got to meet like a lot of their techs and, you know, I got to meet Johnny real quick, which was, was just incredible. And, uh, but what my favorite part of that Radiohead show is, and I've seen them play a bunch, but they messed up on no surprises coming in. <laughs> like, or not no surprises on, uh, um, I think it was, it wasn't no surprises. It was let down. Is that the same? I'm, yeah, they they messed up on let down. Like the there was the wrong fill because there was two drummers. So uh, and what was so great is Tom just kind of looked back and laughed, and I was like, they're human. They mess up. I would like I love to see the warts, you know, warts and all. Like that makes me so like I I kind of love the idea that like. Fish can have some total bonkers nights that don't really work out. Like I love them more for that because I just, I see so many bands where you could like, and I know this for a fact, certain bands you could set your watch to for their headline mm. set. 
And it's like, they'll do two nights in a city and do the exact same set, the exact same time. And like, it's like, okay, this set is going to be 77 minutes long and it's done on the 77 mark. Like, I mean, <laughs> that to me, it, it might be a great concert, but like, I don't know. I don't want to see that more than once. I want to see it once and I'm good. That's like, I've seen, I've seen Echo and the Bunnymen like five or six times. And you can basically set your watch as to Killing when, moon. like, they're gonna, <laughs> yeah. They, it's like they play the Killing Moon, then it's like, all right, in five seconds they're gonna play the cutter, <laughs> and they play the cutter. <laughs> I've got a, it's a fun show, but you know, I saw I saw Casma Combs last week, and. I don't know, have you, Tim. Have you listened to his newest record? I, I just, I, I'm just now catching up after Raceland came out from all these new records, and uh, I have his I'm record. Sure you had on, your head, your God. head somewhere else. When musically, I totally get it. Yeah, <laughs> you're no, trying I'm to psyched. finalize your own record. Cass McCombs is like the most like I don't know what he was going to be considered in the pan, like what I can compare him to, but is he? Right. He's he's just like a legend that you kind of forget about yeah. and then you're like oh my god he's got like 10 of my favorite songs and like so many good records that I just you forget and then it's like and then you put on one of them and you're like and I love the weird ones too like uh, I love my job and like some of those strange older ones but no you would say that's like yeah. super super bizarre but the, the reason i brought him up was um i saw him last week and it was the fourth time i've seen him i've seen him a bunch of times over the last seven or eight years and you know to to what you're speaking about fish and you know like the live music experience i've never once seen him play anything close to the same show twice yeah every time i see him play it's a completely evolved show and i think one thing that works too is benefit especially since big wheel like big wheel yes mandy love and now uh tip of the sphere they're all kind of uh they're they're like just hanging on the edge of a little bit of slop and like he almost like <laughs> yeah put the songs to track and just let it be you know whatever like warts and all kind of like a you know really good neil young record yeah and um seeing him live of all with those songs is really rewarding as a fan because you see him like he he legitimately jams now like he played yeah. two 12 to 15 minute long jams during this during the show that like blew my mind watching it and and it's rare that i get to see that happen yeah i mean and jams are like i i think it's they're so uh i don't know like i i think i got i got in some trouble it, I, I feel like I blame myself too hard, but I got a little too deep into jams. I think with okay. the band arrangement I had on the hard love tour, because I, I just wanted to, part of it was, I think it's Trey's fault because I was getting deeper and deeper <laughs> into fish and I felt really embarrassed about my guitar skills. I was like, I, and so part of like maybe a distance some fans i sure gained some great fans who love the long songs but like i i just wanted to be like jamming it's like it's easy to say and think about but to do when you're in that moment especially if you don't quite have the right band arrangement but like you know like for me i just wanted to, i was like man i want to play guitar better 
like and you know but the problem is i stepped too far away from the audience in the sense of the connection and then i was like i really want to learn how to use the wah pedal better so then i spent like two weeks trying to and and you know whether some some liked it some didn't but you know that was on stage that i did that so like you know there were some nights where we would we wouldn't get to our first song for like 25 minutes because i would just be like do this one in a let's just do this for a while and then you know the but then the first song we would play would be a 15 minute long song so it's like okay now it's 35 minutes into the set and we've gotten like two verses out of him like let's get some songs eventually here is that just the songs and hard love you did that with like would you play like on the hill for like 15 minutes or oh yeah oh we did we did one set we did a three song set that was like an hour and 45 minutes where we did <laughs> on the hill taking acid and jm this is all we did oh my god that sounds incredible. That great yeah i loved it i loved it and and luckily it was at um this place meow wolf in oh, yeah. uh santa fe and so people were ready <laughs> people were like <laughs> and we were ready so it was uh but no like i i don't know where i was going with that but i think it's great though because i just it's good to like it's good to mess up and i that's the thing that scares me about like i don't and i have to be very careful not to sound like the grandpa the mean cynical grandpa because that's also when you should quit (laughs) when you stop liking things too much but the thing that does scare me with like indie rock quote unquote whatever that is now is that it feels really contained and to a certain degree like uh, like like commodified (laughs) and very extremely marketable and it's definitely saving labels but i just don't see a lot of like like super dangerous things coming out and and when i say dangerous like it doesn't have to be like the gun club like it's it dangerous is like seeing sharon van etten perform at zebulon in like 2007 you know like that was dangerous as hell like you know and that's kind of my definition of that you know like Dave Rawlings guitar playing is dangerous in my opinion. And, you know, and that's the kind of thing that that's what turns me on at least like not a really well curated Instagram account. Like that doesn't get me off (laughs) at all. And how good is Sharon Benetton's latest record? Oh, it's fantastic. So good. I, uh, I worked the same, uh, it makes me very, it makes me feel really, uh, connected to it because John Congleton uh I either mixed it or produced it but he's who I worked with with heel to mix it so it has I I I hear John John has some wonderful uh tendencies and especially drums no one does like drums these days like there's two people that are on the top of the mountain I think it's Dave Fridman from like you know Flaming Lips and Baroness and uh uh, everybody, uh, Tame and Paula, I think, but, um, was it Tame and Paula? Now I'm getting confused, but Dave Friedman and John Congleton, those are the drum masters. Like their drums always sound so good. Well, John Congleton did, um, the cloud nothings album here and nowhere else has a fantastic drum sound to it. I think he did. Yeah. Was it the last St. Vincent record or was it the one before? Yes. Oh, it was, it, he did. Um, it was, uh, uh, it was a strange murder. I think it was the one in between. The one before that. 
Was it the self-titled one? Yeah, it was self-titled. Yeah, I'm confused. It was. Yeah, it's got, like, got amazing drums on it. It's the one before yeah. Mass Seduction, which is the self-titled. Right. Yeah. Right. That's okay. it. Yeah, I mean, he's he just has this like he has a touch for that, and like, but Sharon's record, wow, I just floored me. I mean, I I've been like I wrote I wrote two songs on Heal you know like with her like in it like i like i sing about her i think on the track heel so i do no it says way. yeah it says oh, something like crazy. i let's i put my headphones on and listen to vanette and sing like and like yeah and it was like oh, and the, whole chorus, that, like... the chorus of that song is give up give out give in and that's based on her song when uh uh, uh, where were the eyes in the back of the room? Uh, I think it's called "Give Out." The song. I man, my references are bad, but anyways, I love Sharon Bennett and fully support that record. Yeah, I saw her. She opened up for the National at Red at Red Rocks in uh, October of last year, and um, unbelievable show from her. And she played a bunch of stuff off of the new record. I think it had like recently been announced that that was coming off she played about half of it and to hear them in that setting like for the first time and then to hear it four months later you know an actual you know full record was just um it was really remarkable um you know it's interesting what you were saying in terms of like the safeness that you see within indie rock and you know dave and i have kind of been going through this like musical renaissance the last three or four Mm. months um there's labels like beyond beyond is beyond which i don't know if you're familiar with they're they're putting out the garcia people's record they're like very much based in this um kind of it's an indie label but you know song-based artists who expand in a lot of ways and jam in a yeah lot of i'm writing all this down i love it i will i will be checking all of this out that's why i've got my notes out i'm like okay i know they're gonna drop some knowledge on me so. <laughs> it's it's i mean for us like so much of like the, the origins of this podcast was you know the two of us love fish but like an album like Heal was like a life-changing record for us. And it was like, all right, there's got to be other people out there that <laughs> want to hear songs, but also want to hear, you know, expanded ideas and long, yeah. you know, uh, like a band like The Next or something like that. Dude, and, that um, was my one of my favorite records last year. <laughs> wasn't that so good? Yes. Yes. It's, there, there's a oh. moment in that in that it's one song like 24 like 22 minutes, in. minutes yeah i yep i know that part <laughs> it reminds me so much of that down with disease from the camden show where like yes i don't know where it just like goes in that hyperdrive and yes. they just fucking draw, like jam for like 10 more minutes on this uh on this just kind of driving um uh guitars you know guitar riff and it just like has this like power to it um but it's interesting because like we started with this podcast featuring a lot of very just strictly song-based artists and over the last probably three or four months um you know through uh exploring more of this label beyond beyond is beyond as well as digging deep into like what was happening in chicago in the 1990s specifically like tortoise plus what's happening nowadays with like ben lamar gay and um uh, natural information society and the work that riley walker has been doing in a live setting yeah. plus mm. a studio setting like the combination of all that is really 
I, I feel as a music fan, like I felt when I was like 24 years old or like 19 years old, the first time someone put on an animal collective record for me. And I was like, Holy shit, you can do this with music. And um, I'm, I'm just loving going through that. Cause it, it feels like there's starting to be a moment where you can be an indie label, you can be an indie band, but you can also jam and having that balance is so exciting. Yeah. And I just think it's like, Oh, I, you were talking about, you know, back to the uh, interesting and complicated, you know, like when you brought up the next, or if you brought up like, you know, you pull up, you know, like a super type two jam, you know, like, and you have like, as you're, you know, as we get older, doesn't it feel nice when you actually are like, man, this is such a gift that I've got. Like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna put down my phone and I'm gonna devote myself to 45 minutes of the next. Like I'm just gonna listen to this song, yeah. or like you know. And I've been making this strong effort lately. Uh, when I when I'm like in my there's like a certain sweet spot. Yeah, I've been going to bed really early lately, but like sometimes I don't sleep at all. And like I've like the greatest benefit to my life was like three years ago maybe four years ago my wife she said like oh what are some good jazz records and i i had forgotten i think you know this rise of me being in a band and and like just just life and stuff like i forgot how much i loved jazz when i was like a kid like my grandpa loved jazz and so like i've had this complete renaissance of rediscovery and then digging deeper of just like, and the same thing as the next, like I recommend everyone if they, I, cause you definitely look at your phone for this amount of time every day. Like if you would replace looking at your phone with listening to sketches of Spain mm. by Miles Davis, you're better. You're just going to be better. Like, and you can carve out that time like and i've been doing you know like i've been trying to do that even in my own head like sometimes it's me putting down my guitar that's like because then it gets confused like is this my job i think it's my job i need to love music like i need to like you know nick cave said my muse is not a horse and i often find that uh i i i should write that i'm gonna write that down and put it above my desk but that idea of like man am i playing my guitar this long today for the wrong reasons and like that's when i put it down and i put on you know something like fela Kuti or like i like my like my favorite music you know i love like I love like reading reviews for my record and this is like, whatever. But it's like, they name bands all the time that I don't listen to. And I'm like, I don't like, and, and I find it, I find it good. You know, I don't find a problem cause I think it's a gateway for people who don't know about me. Sure. If that's a trigger for them to find out about me, that's awesome. But like, if people were to like look peer into me and like my life, it's like, and my listening habits, it's mostly like I listen to more dub, like seventies dub music than anyone else probably in the, cause I just like, I found that like, I got so deep into that like six years ago. And, um, uh, like I, I just wanted to learn more. Like I love reggae, you know, like I love like, 
you know, I just always loved that music. But then I was like, man, I want to hear dub and like, like real dub. And then I started getting into Lee Scratch Perry. And then I discovered this band, the Congas, who are just like uh, fishermen. Like it's the greatest, I think it's the greatest dub reggae record ever. Hmm. Um, but, um, but then you go deeper and then you get into like Scientist and King Tubby and Augustus Pablo and Joe Gibbs and blah, you know, on and on and on. And it's very, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm building a bridge right now in my head. I'm tangent, but like, I see that, like, you know, I see that, uh, such a relationship between like, if you really get deep into dub music and like dub house culture and like, you know, Kingston cult, like all the studio culture and stuff, like it's extremely similar to like the nuance of fish fans of like, cause I can show you a scientist. Uh, dub mix of a uh, King Tubby song. And sometimes the only difference is like a phaser on the hi-hat <laughs> or like, you know, it's so subtle, but it, I, I, I've listened to it enough now that I nerd out so deeply. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, you know, this is like the Trojan mix versus like, you know, the black arc mix or something like that. Like, and it is, it is incredibly like, uh, it's addicting, you know, to be a part of like, you know, with, and that's why I love fish so much, you know, especially now, like I love just the depth that you, there's no, there's no like deep end of the pool when it comes to being a fan. Like I feel like probably for you as well, like there's never, like you never can reach the bottom of the information. Well, no. like there's still more information. There's still more discovery. And that was what I felt. You know, I, I went to the Halloween show where have, have you listened to the Halloween show at all? Yes. So yes. Like, you know, you know, like they created a fake Scandinavian <laughs> band and a backstory Incredible. and they got WFMU to write up reviews about it and you know they, they were just it was so, so seven layers deep and and i actually i took my dad to it who is is responsible for me nerding out on music the way that i do and um we i, I had an extra ticket he happened to be in las vegas for a trade show and it was his his second fish show and we're walking into the show and he's like how the fuck have I never heard of this band? Like we're going to experience this for the first time. And, you know, it, it, came, it came to be that it's, you know, it's, it's a fish album and everything. And, and my realization to your point was the thing I love about this band is their 35 plus year creative art project with absolutely no bottom. Like yeah. these four guys just don't want to stop creating music together and coming up with the most bizarre ideas that, um you know certainly can be made fun of by the larger music press but at the end of the day like their fans are following them through this down this rabbit hole and great music is coming out of it and that is just such a huge accomplishment well and i mean and to like i don't know if you've discussed this yet uh uh but i don't think it's i don't think we're far off from seeing kind of that Day of the Dead, Hipster Dead Renaissance. I think it's gonna come for fish. I I, yeah. I feel like in the next five years we're going to see some kind of tide turning where and that might be a long shot, but I 
I don't know. I think like when I was at, you know, when I go to their shows, like I see a lot of young, cool people at, I see a lot of young people at fish concerts and it, that's, and that is so awesome to me. I'm like, that means young people want to hear 28 minute long songs that helped my (laughs) life and my career. Like that is, I feel so happy. And, you know, and on the flip side to know that your dad, like, you know, that it's that range and you know people still want reality they don't want this virtual world that even even when they go to shows it still feels lacking in reality i excuse me like it's just like man this is just feels like it's i'm eating like an oscar meyer hot dog like there's no nuance to this it's just like it's packaged and you know they look great good they look great but you know what are they doing and you know i ah i don't i'm i'm uh, I don't know where my brain's going. My apologies. I'm beyond the pond. You're, there you go. <laughs> what I think is, what's happened? We've arrived. We have gone beyond the pond. At, at the end of at the end of every episode, I encourage listeners to go beyond the pond. And you may be the first guest that is has like successfully gone beyond the pond. Just went like beyond that. the pond. So. You heard my brain, my brain kind of, so a few like modular synth wires getting unplugged. Like I got to get this going again. What's funny to me is that, I mean, me and Brian started the podcast as a means of getting fish fans to listen to other bands. And yet by virtue of having to do research and just going back and seeing how much there is, the irony is that I find myself probably listening to more fish now than any other point since high school. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's great. Like, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's helped, I don't know, it's helped me. Like, I, I, like, went to defense of, uh, and he's a friend of mine, so I can say this, but, like, you know, <laughs> Ian, uh, I went to defense of fish on, um, on Twitter, and uh, I, I, I need to be careful on Twitter because I have gotten in like international feuds before, which I shouldn't do. But I, uh, uh, but anyways, Ian Cohen, I love Ian Cohen. He's a he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, like maybe along with Hayden, like my favorite writers to read. Yeah, yeah. But bro is like way down on jam bands, <laughs> like way down, and I can understand and relate. I, I don't like the music he likes, so it's fine. But anyways, uh, it's like he was saying something about like the opera. Like I think it was in reference to Casper Combs or you know like when or some indie rock bands in general. Like when you hit a certain age, you know, like it's like a career move to then get into jam bands because it's like okay, like I'm this age or whatever. But you know. My response was like, you know, and he was kind of continuing on a tangent. I was like, they just make me happy. Like, there's no ulterior motive. Like, fish makes me happy. And when they, when they find, when they lock into a groove, my wife dances in the other room. Like, that's all there is to it. They just make me happy. And Ian Cohen, he loves Sunny Day Real Estate. And that Sunny Day Real Estate album, How It Feels to Be Something On. It's jam, it's a fish dude. Record. Dude, it's a it is record. absolutely. It's a fish loving Jesus. Uh, yeah, William Goldsworthy just jam record. I mean, what's the what time signature is that one? Uh, uh, now I'm forgetting all the songs, but it's, is it 
Roses in Water that yes. has like, the crazy drum bridge yeah. at, the, at the end of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that's a top record. But Ian, I love you. If you are listening, I'd love it if you'd come on this podcast. It'd be fantastic. But um We would we would welcome that on with open arms. We can talk about uh we can talk about Foxing. He loves that record. That was one of my I love Foxing too. That that was the big bridge that we all built. And and this band, have you heard this band? They're opening for my tour. They're called Wild Pink. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic amazing, man. I love Wild Pink. And that's another band Ian and I can agree on. And I think Hayden too. We all three can Yeah. It's like the Triforce. Hayden was on um, with us right before that record came out and uh he was he was repping for it a big time. We like that's got I mean, and this kind of ties back to something you were saying earlier in terms of like the arc of a career and like the slow build, like that wild pink record that came out last year, Yoke in the Fur kind of sounds like just early hints at what Adam Grandshield was doing in like the late 2000s, early 2010s with the war on drugs in the yep. sense that yep. like this like expansiveness and these like big vistas of music and sound are starting to appear. Um you kind of got that in that record last year that, that I, I can't wait to hear. I really want to hear it live, um, but I can't wait to hear what happens when they get through that and they, whatever their next ideas are. Exactly. And those are my favorite bands. You know, like those are always like, you know, I love the national so much. I love that band. Yeah. And like, I, what, you know, what I love so much about them is when I heard the boxer, I was like, well, this is the tops for them. Like, this is, they can't get any better than this. And then they get <laughs> just so wait. much better and better yeah. and better and better. And I'm like, that's, you know, and I think that's exactly what you're saying about like a band like Wild Pink, where I think they're a bit younger than me. You know, they're relatively young as a band. And it's just like, if their dad arrived on their first or second record, you know, it took me four to get. I, I, let's just say it. It took me till the newest one to get something. I feel personally, but you know, for others, you know, it was like, you know, it took me three or four records to find something that kind of like I understood closer. And well, I want to, I want to ask you about that because so heel was my introdu- my introduction to you. That was a yeah. record that was. Uh, so my wife and I spent 2013 teaching in South Korea teaching English and then we traveled we backpacked around Southeast Asia and for wow. that time period the only music I listened to was fish because I was on 19 hour buses driving through the middle of nowhere and I was reading wow. a ton and then the war on drugs lost in a dream had just come out and that I could just spin on repeat and then I came back to the states in June of 2014 and I had basically missed entirely what had come out in the first part of the year, aside from like the St. Vincent record, the war on drugs. And um, I think that sun kill moon record, Benji really hit me hard. But, oh yeah. That was 2004. Yeah. Yeah. But my brother, I got home and my brother goes, you have to listen to this record. And he passed me heel. And that record just like devastated me, like in the best ways possible. It was everything I was listening to at the time. It was everything I was wanting to hear um a song like shut in was a song that i just like super connected with during that period of my life and then when another friend of mine who's a huge magnolia electric company fan was like you realize what jm is right like that another level um so i'm curious (laughs) like for you 
like what happened building up to that record like what 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 was going on with you like writing wise like how did the band come together for that like how, how did that all happen well heel was like uh i think i have this and i always have to be careful because i look at my catalog much differently than maybe people that listen to me do and sure. i i yeah. always i need and i haven't been sensitive in the past to like my own personal feelings on records should not get in the way or should even be heard when it comes to if someone appreciates and loves it, then I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't get in the way of that. And I have yeah. done that before. Cause I'm like, I like to, I, I don't, I always like to move forward, but like heel came, heel came after like a pretty big, uh, like a disappointment in my career, I think. Cause like I, okay. I had made uh, this record, Pope Kill Dragon, which was like, that was like yeah. my, that I still love that record. Like, I don't know what happened. It's a strange sounding record, but I love it. And I was like on this trajectory to like follow up Pope Kill Dragon with like a space record, like literally about space, not like a space rock, but like just about space with like, amazing synthesizers and all of this stuff. And I was building to this, you know, and it was called dark shores. And I, I recorded like, uh, I don't know. I, rec I recorded for a week, you know, like half the record. And then I was basically like, you know, certain people said like, Oh, you need to go to a producer. So I like was, I was working with who I thought was a producer and who I did Pope Kill Dragon with, my friend Ben Vahorn in Akron, Ohio. And so then I like kind of like didn't follow my instinct and maybe followed the advice of others. And I went to uh, uh, make Dark Shores in San Francisco. And it was with a great producer, John Vanderslice, who's done awesome things. But the problem is I didn't, I shouldn't have gone to a producer. It's not John's fault. I just should have kept following my vision and I didn't. And like, so I put a record out that really wasn't the, what the record should have been. So like, if you, if you can dig deep enough, I put out something called Darker Shores, which was the original intention for that record. And <laughs> if you want to unlock the skeleton key, I also put out Harder Love, which was supposed to be yes. what hard love sounded like but that's another story but anyways so i'm i'm kind of coming off of like something i didn't really want to have happen and so what i did was i went without anyone telling me otherwise i went back to my friend ben in akron where i loved his studio i love ben i love all of that and it was just all ready to go. And so I basically was like, no one is telling me, no one is giving me any advice this time around, unless you're Ben, <laughs> like, or, you know, like someone else in Akron that's playing on the record. So I went back to Akron and just did everything that my heart was telling me to. And then I made heel like, okay. and that's okay. how heel came. So heel was like me understanding, like the people that I love and the people that I work best with and the studio that I worked best with at the time. And it just, and I think that was magic in a bottle, like how heel, you know, cause it's, you know, I think that record 
it did it it did not cost anything to make and ben knew i was broke so like you know that record cost what some bands pay you know like on their the road cases for their amps or something like it was, <laughs> it was, it was very inexpensive partially out of the grace you know the the graciousness of ben but but that's where heel came you know heel came in this like idea that like i had to i work best when i have to prove myself and, sure. and not others, not like public opinion, but my own opinion. When I'm faced with like that, isn't exactly what I wanted. So that's how Heal came about, and the songs, everything was just it was. It's now getting kind of far away ago. I I'm forget, I forget that like that's like five years is like five years, yeah. four thousand years in the in the Twitter cycle. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I was hanging out with Triceratops when I was you know, making that record, but it is like, I kind of, kind of actually forget. Now I'm forgetting how that, but like the whole process of it, but it was, it was so like fever, fever dream oriented, making that record that it was, I was so special, but I, I, I did so much so quickly. Cause I basically did everything but drums. So like, cause I am the world's worst drummer, like the worst drummer ever in the face of the planet so i i so bad but i uh, um but no i god that was it was heel like it's very similar to like i feel like there's this weird trilogy that i may have just finished with like pope kill dragon heel and eraser land like i think those are all hmm. uh there's a lineage there and um I think they all have this the same feeling of like uh I don't know like just not letting the wrong things in when it comes to my expectations or you know like you know they just were they were made from a very pure place which I think that's as much as I could ever try to do <laughs>
I definitely hear that. Uh, I know Dave and I were talking about, like, you put on a racer land and you hear uh, heal and you hear Pope Kill Dragon. Like, you, you hear, like, those first three records in terms of just uh, the, like, stark kind of nakedness and, like, the open openness that, like, you present lyrically from the very beginning yeah. of the with kind of a lot of sonic ideas that that came off the heel and um i know i i can't stop listening to eraser land it's it's a really fantastic record and it's one of those records that you, know, you hear a record like at this time of the year and you're just like i'm gonna grow with this over the whole next year and it's gonna be one of those things that sounds like 2019 to me the way that heel sounds like 2014 to me yeah so, yeah you know, I'm so about that it's a very good sounding record. The production and obviously the guys from yeah, Jacket. That helps. It's just, it, yeah, it helps. It just oh my god! An expert sound like um, on Hyperspace Blues is that like a Moog? That that's, that's so many things. That's like when it comes okay. to me and synthesizers. Like I, I'm a very uh, you can never trust what you're hearing because I love and luckily Bo. Coster and Kevin Ratterman, who Kevin and I produced it. Like we, I love like uh, what does it say? Stacking keyboard sounds, so mm -hmm. it kind of sounds familiar, but it doesn't. So Hyperspace Blues was probably like we probably kept Bo up to like four o'clock in the morning, and be like another one. Let's, let's just let's, get it let's, right. Like <laughs> uh, not even takes, but like let's put another layer of keyboards. Are you kidding? No, no, one more, one more. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, it was. But that record, besides some of Bo's stuff and my vocals, was live. Like every track, every song on that record was cut live with the exception of like tiny amounts of overdubs. So we were just all looking at one another, like, and we had to get the take. Like there was never any, um, how do you say like edits or punch-ins, like what you hear is what we did. And that, that adds a whole other level of newness for me. Like I've never done that in the studio before. So that was very fun to experience. It's also, I like the way it's sequenced because, um, I think it's songs three and four, Keys and Visions, back-to-back. -back, it's pretty heavy. Yes, that's on purpose. You get the, all right, then you get the final fire. It's like, oh, That's a okay. champagne bottle opening. Like, that's, like, you have to get through Visions in order to earn final fires. And, like, you know, probably label people and all those dorks probably wanted it to be, like, put the hits, like, one and two or whatever. And I'm like, right. man, the catchiest song I ever wrote is like track seven on this record i think it's like ruby is like buried in it essentially you know in the terms of like what popular records should be like that's a song that like cannot wait for the weather to just get so nice and people mm. to drive around with their windows down uh, like yeah. every time i hear that record i just think of like june and just like turning the volume up a little bit too loud while i'm driving yeah. in my car and man oh man that is a hell of a song dude well that's i mean that's kind of like i remember when we were re recording that it was in louisville and like louisville in the springtime it's so beautiful it's like it just come and i watched it i was there this time of year actually last year it's crazy okay. i was there and um but no we just i saw spring coming and then like when we mixed it, it was later, you know, it was around like Derby, it was over Derby weekend, we were still mixing. So it was like, truly like, 
like I think this is really like a spring summer record and it might be yeah. the first I've ever Visions is, you know, Visions is a late, like, if it's, if it's the summertime, it's like a late night desert <laughs> uh, thunderstorm, maybe <laughs> in the summertime, but it still is a summer album. Well, and then it closes in um, Forever Chords, like Dave said this to me, and the first couple of times we were listening to the record, it's like you, you know, recording with the guys from Jacket, like took Don Don and just like brought it up another decade like the song that they have that closes out z yeah. just like super powerful and like somewhat cynical or uh sinister i mean and um it just has like such a heavy feel and then cruel fisherman which i am the ambient half of beyond the pond and yes. when when i discovered that there was a 16 minute <laughs> zone out way to close the record i was just like you've got to be kidding me here. This is like exactly, I, I went back and listened to it all over again. And um, I love the way you close that record. Yeah. That's, that's a big point of contention that I think I, I think the, somebody messed up. Like and <laughs> this, is a, this is a beyond the pond exclusive, but that was only meant to be the fourth side of the vinyl. Like that should not be on streaming services at all. <laughs> like I'm, I'm actually kind of upset about that. <laughs> Interesting. Cause, cause that, um, when it, when I first listened to the record on, what was it last Friday, it came out, um, that was listed as the last song and then i know put it back on again like two days later it was listed as a bonus track yes because someone got an angry email about that. <laughs> <laughs> because so forever chord is the last song on the record like it's it's the last song it's and cruel fisherman is just like a palate cleanser like that's was a gift 
like it was meant to be like a special gift for vinyl buyers like because the the record is three sides long on a vinyl and we we did that to be like i want to make this fourth side basically the entire length of a side that just literally erases the record and the record's erased and then you can put it on again and feel like you forgot what you just heard almost because you just heard 17 minutes of like Uh, Tim Hecker level noise or whatever. I think I actually texted Brian that morning. I said, uh, yeah, I think Tim made this album for you because it closes with a 16 minute ambient jam. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I love that. I've, I have a whole other thing that I might put out later this year. That's just, it's like the, uh, you know, that the the show stranger things, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, what's it called? The underneath or the upside down? Yes. Like, so I made an upside down version of uh, Eraserland that <laughs> I I want to put out like in the next probably six months or whatever. But it's it's very ambient and bizarre. One band I know we had wanted to talk to you about. Um, I think we may have heard you mention along the way the like making of Eraserland. And this band's kind of been in the news due to um, the untimely death of Mark Hollis. Is Talk Talk? Oh, like we yeah. have been. Man, I mean, Spirit of Eden is one of my favorite uh, favorite albums of all time. I know we. I think on the one of the last two episodes, we kind of did a small tribute to Mark Hollis where we talked about that album. It's just you can really learn a lot about space from that record. I think it's. I I just think that was. Like, and this is going to sound cheesy, but like, I don't think Mark Hollis needs to go to heaven because he saw it. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I think he experienced it on, mm-hmm. in his existence, which is so rare. Like, like Spirit of Eden and Laughingstock is like, I, that is, I think that's what, like, I can't, I spent way too much of hard love talking about drugs, so I don't want to do that. But it is it is kind of there's certain there's like a three letter uh one that makes you have ego death (laughs) and the listeners can research that but it is like it has that feeling of like you just lived a billion years and you are like like spirit of eden is you have no like i feel like it's it's so galactic that like this is what like oh man how do i say this not sound too heady like like how this is if if like a if like a quasar or a comet felt heartbreak like this is like galactic heartbreak or galactic galactic joy like it's so much bigger than humans can perceive in a way and it's yeah i I don't know i don't know what chord it is and i don't ever want to know what it actually is that builds up in Eden. Yeah, I know that chord. I feel every time I hear it, like I'm on the verge of crying. And then he comes and he sings and it breaks up a little bit. And like, it's like, that's one of the things I love about the record is he'll give you these like, is that in like rainbow, the first song? Are we talking in in the song Eden? Um, Like the the, the chord that like builds up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I know that chord. Yeah, I, I don't know the know the chord, but I I hear it in my well, mind. We featured it. We featured that song on um 
I don't know if you're familiar with the the Japan fish shows from 2000. Um, they I have heard the- about those. I think I've listened to some, which was such. Wasn't that like a completely unique? And so like, totally unique and they yeah. they play there's this one show that they released officially it's on the live fish series uh live fish four if you you, you could find it on spotify there's there's a version of the song um well the whole second set there's rumors that the band drank some mushroom tea backstage because they come out and they play this very ambient patient set and they specifically play this version of the song twist for mm. 34 minutes and yes. it's one of the best most patient prettiest jams i've ever heard them play we featured it in a very early episode and it was like you know for us a test of patience from our listeners because we were going to feature stars of the lid and yes. william bazinski yes. and we featured eden and like the, the correlation between the two but you know my, my point in bringing it up is like to what you're saying he gives you these like hints of perfection and of yeah you know almost like an idea of heaven and then takes it away from you you know he does it's like you get this like glimmer and then it's gone and that's that like the journey of the record is is the whole purpose of it that to me is like I mean that's the you know if anyone has done psychedelics that is the that's the phasing of psychedelics that happens where you just like you're like you you have it like a particular you know perfect clarity of like I understand mathematics I don't know how but I understand like I understand all math and then you kind of like get Brock back in and like you smell something bad or you know like you're like oh no the world like and you see dirt you know like dirty walls and things and you're like oh no I want to go back to understanding math like I want to go there again and Eden I mean the spirit of Eden in general does I mean that is oh it's just and if you listen to like like that like again like a lot of things like, like I love dub music but you wouldn't maybe know it if you like I think my shit's heavily influenced by like King Tubby, but it doesn't necessarily sound like that. And I feel like Eraserland, you know, I hear it. I hear Spirit of Eden all over Eraserland, but I don't know if, you know, like 
I'm saying it now, but I, you know, I wouldn't know if anyone else would, but I know it's there. Like it's all over the record. It's a very patient record with like a racial and especially with the title track and forever chords. I mean, I hear a lot of space. Yeah. There's patience. There's a buildup. The way it was produced, you can really get a deep headphone listen. It was mixed that you can hear all the instruments, especially um, on a racial end. Is that with Emma Ruth yeah. Rundle? She's the other yeah. vocalist. Okay. Yes. And she's fucking awesome. And by the way, like what's incredible about that performance is, like, there is just something in the room that we didn't we didn't like we just met when she did those vocals i'd never met her i loved her music but like we kind of had this like vulcan mind meld (laughs) that that happened where it was like man we've probably had a lot of similar experiences in our lives and like i didn't like i never met her but i realized i was like writing the verses for both of us it was just like completely uh like surreal experience and especially then hearing her sing and like ah that was that and and this is a really nerdy fact if anyone would care but that's pope Kildragon that's singing so he's singing so the same guy that sings to mary and pope Kildragon, that's mary that's back 10 years later that he's like Ah. that's the return of kill dragon and whether he comes back again i don't know but like it's that's like <laughs> that's like me dropping in the the hip-hop verse i'm like kill dragon's back y'all like good <laughs> it's the easter there's egg 500 people that listen like kill dragon's back <laughs> <laughs> there's um let's see other than like the emma root solo record she's part of a band called yep. marriages that put out an album in 2015 uh, salome which is probably my favorite album of that year because in terms of that's like a post-punk goth shoegaze yeah. album which just hits all of my sensors is that album yeah and you would probably like have you uh her i believe they're married now but evan from young widows uh, and Emma are together, and but Evan put out a record, uh, Jay Jail. I don't know if you've heard, heard that, that, but it's incredible. It's like a sonic cousin to Emma's because all of uh, Evan and a lot of those same musicians play on Dark Horses, okay, her yeah, latest nice record. Because Kevin Ratterman, who produced my record with me, produced that record too. Oh, nice. At, at La La Land. So it's all, it, we're all tied together in this family, which is pretty incredible. Well, I know, you know, we had talked as well about, uh, we mentioned him earlier, but another artist we had wanted to talk with you about was um, Jason Molina. And obviously the song JM Off of Heel is, you know, um, for it, it, as, as far as I've always heard, it's a it's a tip of the cap to him. And um, didn't you do? Yeah, am I mistaken here? Did you do? Uh, did you play some um, Magnolia Electric Company in the fall live? Well, yeah, I'm kind of now his. Uh, I don't know what the status of it is because we're going to do more shows, but his band, which was called Magnolia Electric Company, uh. All of those members, uh, now I sing the songs. So it's yes, kind of like yes, a, yes. 
I it's in so this community would appreciate it. I kind of felt a little bit like John Mayer, like stepping in, and you know, <laughs> and it's different kind of music. But you know, I'm, I it's not a cover band, right. but it's it's a it's like a continuation of 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 classic songs. Like it's yes. a it's like a because um, Dead and Co is not a cover band they're definitely not a cover band like they're 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 evolving into something great and they'll probably exist in a thousand years hopefully you know but like i think that's something similar in my mind of what we did with magnolia where we did like a tour of europe and we uh put out like a seven inch and so and we called it goshen electric company because yes yes uh, yes like like jason jason molina's like wish was the band always would evolve names into like locations or settings so like magnolia electric company was not a static name like it was you know he was probably going to change it and continue on but uh it was it was the i mean it was like i don't know i think it was like a peak it was a peak moment for me and there was a lot of finality to it that felt like it closed a circle in my life in a really uh, he helpful way into like being like a very depressed younger person and Molina's music being there. And then, you know, having to experience him, you know, pass away at way too young of an age. Yeah. And then, you know, I wrote a song just, I, I, it's so strange. Like that song, like I didn't, I never thought it'd be on the record. I just wrote it like the day he died. Like I, Crazy. I just wrote it for him and I wrote it for me in a way because I just I was drinking so much at that time and like it was just it was scary I'm like man is this me next like I gotta you know and and the song happened and it was on the record and you know I think <clears throat> I was an Indian a kid kidding no one in my bed I had your sweet tunes to play I was staring at the map Feeling fire in my head I had your sweet tunes to play I was mean to my dad I was mean to myself I had your sweet tunes to play Stealing smokes in my car With the windows way down I had your sweet tunes to play Your sweet tunes to play Like 
changing a little bit, but that's that's the one song I, I I just told my wife I was like this is the one song I literally have never I like every time I play it I'm excited like the second that song starts I'm so psyched I don't know why it's you know three chords but I just I love playing that song so much like and it's never been played the same you know and uh what did steve say once he said uh what's the term is it a vehicle like a jam vehicle yeah is that what you say like that's that that song is definitely a jam vehicle like totally you know it's like eight minutes long on the record and then you play it yeah it's like get into it and you just let it let it ride yeah and there's just and it's not like you know if there's not as much to say we won't play it that long but some nights there's a lot to say and like and if i got like this european band i play with as strand of oaks like we we played some amazing festival in like montenegro in this village of kotar and it was like on an old venetian uh fort it was so cool i mean it was it's surrounded by mountains it was live at pompeii basically but (laughs) it was one of those festivals where there wasn't like a time clock so like you play to like the promoters were so cool they're like you just feel the vibe and you play and i think we dug into jm for like 27 minutes that night because there was just a lot to say (laughs) like and yeah i that song and jason too like i and the thing about melina is and his band you know all the guys in that band it was like it was incredibly difficult for me and i didn't even know jason let alone them who that was family to get through we played two sets every night so you know it was like two and a half hours almost of uh melina's music and that's difficult like to get through without tears and what was so great is all of the guys in that band including me except for slow-mo the uh, slap steel player we're all from indiana like we're all from like an hour away from one another in like the corridor and it was and jason was from ohio and like we all have this strange midwestern like this darkness mixed with like like humor like it's just a very it's a it's a it's a i love it but it's kind of like you know and it's also like we don't we're all farmers we don't believe in psychologists so our brains are just a fucking mess like you know it's like (laughs) it's just we're all filled but yet we're goofballs at the same time like it's it's a you know i don't know it's the story of my life but you know it was kind of like we (laughs) You know, we didn't want it to. We wanted it to feel like a, a memorial instead of a funeral, sure. and it, so it was. In you know, we called it the shows like Memorial Electric Company sometimes because it was like, and some nights were rough because like it was sad. <laughs> like yeah. it was. It, I mean, I and I, but then some nights like when we played London it was it was like a funeral but like a new orleans funeral where it was a celebration and it was like a pub feeling like people were singing old black hen at the top of their lungs and it was like i'm like this is a pub song like this is amazing like i old black hen is that you again 
singing the bad luck lullaby. Come right on in, cause it's midnight again. Time for the bad luck lullaby. You know the one, it's the same one you saw when you worked on. But then, you know, some nights, and it was probably, you know, it was similar to like, you know, we didn't, we, we played really varying sets and it was partially my fault because some nights I was just digging so deep into the darkest songs in this catalog, you know, and we do like blue Chicago moon hmm. into Steve Albini's blues into <laughs> like in a human world. Like, I mean, that's. And you, you pile, and then in Whippoorwill, you know, like you pile those together, and it's, you know, it's a heavy experience, and it was always this battle between like when not to look at Jason Groff, who is the guitar player, and because he's this goofy Indiana guy like me, but the problem with Indiana guys, if we do see a fellow Indiana guy get emotional, it's it's a cataclysmic chain reaction because i'm like oh man groth is crying oh my god like come on dude you can't do that and then i just caught it and then mark the drummer would you know it was just yeah but then we'd joke you know and that was great like and i think that's the way molina was too you know he was you know i think a lot of people when they when they read a review of mine or like a bio or something, they're like, here come, this guy is going to be like, you know, Robert Smith, like on a real bad day, like, you know, <laughs> like during the disintegration recordings or something. And then people meet me and I'm like, no, I'm kind of like, I already put that in the song, like, and the performance, like I, I'm like, I, I, I try and fight the darkness and I'm kind of goofy, you know, and okay. to a certain degree, I don't know, but again, another tangent. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> I, my, my first interview today was at seven in the morning. Speaking like a lot of truths to, you know, connecting with Melina's music. I mean, I know the first time I heard it, I was, uh, I was up in Alaska uh, for a summer, I'd just broken up with my girlfriend who I later got back together with now my wife and, uh, a friend of mine passed me, I think it was trials and errors. And the oh, song wow. Dark, don't hide it is like the first track on it. I, I think yeah. it's that record. Yeah. And, um, that's it. I remember just like, like every feeling that I had was in that record. And um, I listened to yeah. it on repeat the whole summer. It was that summer that I got that. And I got Cass McCombs dropping the writ and those two records just mm. like summarized what I was feeling. And um, yeah, it's, it's music that is ultimately, you know, there's, there's, 
in some cases a time and a place for it because it's so heavy and if you've connected with it it yeah. takes you back to that place almost immediately um yeah i think you know your music is very much like that i was talking to my brother before we went to record and you know like i said he passed me heel that summer 2014 he was going through like a pretty crazy breakup and he's gotten back together with the girl but the song plymouth was what got him through all that and like really if he listens to that now that's like it takes him right back there but it's also like a celebratory feeling for him now because good came from it and you get through it you know yeah. and and that's the thing though that like that is the most tragic thing in my in my love of jason molina and his art is the fact that he never every song yes it's dark but it's always underlined by perseverance it's always totally. underlined by not giving up like he says try in almost every song totally. and like if you ever in any of my songs hear me say try that's always an homage to jason because like i always try and put that in some points on my record because you know he says like we're all supposed to try like that's it's just it's beautiful yeah we're all supposed to try you know and that and so he ultimately it took him you know and i i he didn't want to go i i i don't know him but i know i you know enough that you know that was he still wanted to make music and he you know and i and that is a, in a way like it's difficult for me emotionally to do those songs because i'm having a blast playing his songs but it's also you know it takes me back like you said but i feel like that band we need to keep doing it you know and i'm gonna be busy for a bit but like we you know we definitely need to do it in america because like it was great in europe because like my band does pretty well over there and like melina's legacy might be a little bit more cemented in europe right now to a certain degrees but i think we definitely want to do it you know, at least for like choice shows in America, like we have to. If you do it, uh, if you do it in Denver, I can I can assure you a crowd. <laughs> I'd kill for that, man. Oh my God, Denver would be Denver. I I was really feeling the heat from Denver. I'm so glad my people I work I with booked the Denver show because I was like, like how have we skipped Denver again? What's going on? Like. I, I, it's not my <laughs> choice because you tell me, like, you talk to me out for, you know, an hour and 47 minutes. Does it not seem like I'm going to love Denver? Like, it's one of my favorite places <laughs> on the planet. Like, I'm playing there, like, <laughs> uh, and playing music there is the best. Like, even when I'd open for bands, like, Denver was always, like, the, it was, it, I don't know, there's yeah. just an energy it like rises with the elevation. Like there's just something that's like, uh, I don't know. It just, it's, it's very spirited and it's one of the best towns to play music in. I think we have got an amazing fucking episode here. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, I, I kinda, I, I've, I've been going off the rails a few times. I think I am a little tired. I apologize, but. Um, oh no, this is. This your rail, your rails have been fantastic. Where this is like killer content. We we cannot thank you so much. Can't, we can't thank you enough. So this was awesome. 
Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving us time. And um, like I said, we we greatly appreciate it. We're both big time fans. And uh, I think as well, the fish connection is such a cool thing for us. And um, yeah, maybe when you're out here in Denver, we'll do a, a live episode or something like that. That could be fun. That'd be fantastic. Because I think I have the day off after that. Sweet. Perfect. So we can do something for that. And um